No. Do you ever found yourself judging somebody you didn't mean to? Maybe you've done that. Perhaps put them in a box because of the way in which they looked, or the way in which they acted, or the way in which they smelt, uh, or whatever it might be. You put them in a box and you start judging them. Why is everybody frowning at me about smelling? I, th- I think that's one of the things that we judge really quickly. Uh, those who are homeless, uh, who haven't got the place to go and have a fresh shower. Uh, you know, we, we are, we are quite quick to judge. We really wish we weren't, don't we? That, isn't that true of all of our lives? We wish we didn't judge people, but actually we do. Uh, uh, all of us at different times. I'd like to read you um, uh, just a brief uh, story. It's from uh, John Ortberg's book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. And um, uh, he says, tells this story. Dale Galloway tells the story of a young boy named Teddy Stollard. He was not the kind of kid you'd invite, got invites to parties. He slouched in his chair. He looked bored most of the time. He only spoke when called upon and then in monosyllables. He never dressed right. He had smelly clothes and altogether he was a rather unattractive young boy. Whenever his teacher would mark Teddy's papers, she got a certain perverse pleasure out of marking all the wrong answers. She could put the F on the top with a little flair. She might have known better because history, his history was on record. First grade, Teddy is a good boy and shows promise, but has a poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy is quiet and withdrawn. His mother is terminally ill. Third grade, Teddy is falling behind. His mother died this year. His father is uninvolved. Fourth grade, Teddy is hopelessly backward. His father has moved away. Teddy is living with his aunt. He is deeply troubled. Christmas came and all the children brought presents to school. They were carefully wrapped except for Teddy's, which was packaged in brown paper and held together with tape and marked for Miss Thompson from Teddy. The teacher would open the gifts one by one for the class to admire. When she opened Teddy's, it was a rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing and a bottle of perfume that was mostly gone. The other children started to laugh, but Miss Thompson caught herself. Snapping on the bracelet, she said, Isn't it lovely, class? And doesn't the perfume smell good? At the end of class, Teddy approached her shyly. I'm glad you like my gifts, Miss Thompson, he whispered. All day long, you smelled like my mother, and her bracelet looks lovely on you too. After she left, Miss Thompson put her head down on the desk and cried. She asked God to forgive her. She prayed that God would help her to see what what he sees when she looks at a motherless boy. When the children came back to school the next day, Miss Thompson was a new teacher. She tutored the children who needed extra help, Teddy most of all. By the end of the year, he caught up with most of his classmates and was ahead of some. 
After that, she didn't hear from him for quite a while. Then she received a note one day. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know that I'm graduating from high school and I am second in my class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, another note came. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I'm graduating first in my class. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, another note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know that as of today, I am Theodore J. Stollard, MD. How about that? I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat because you're the nearest thing to family that I have had with my love, Teddy Stollard. It's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to judge. It's so easy to put people in a box. It's so easy to think that person is like that. And uh, we forget uh, to actually take our time to get to know who that person is. Uh, Wendy, come and read for us this evening. You will need a Bible, or you won't need a Bible, but Wendy's going to read the whole of chapter 4 of John's Gospel. Let's uh, sit back, listen, and enjoy. John chapter 4, Jesus and the Samaritan Woman. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them. His disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, not sure, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides... Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to keep coming here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. 
Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, What do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are ready, ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. It's a, it's a really interesting passage because everybody who comments on this passage quickly judges the woman at the well. And I've probably spoken on it before and in the same way have reflected on the woman at the well. Uh, all the commentators judge the woman at the well. But as I was praying over this passage this week, it was almost as though God opened my eyes to something fresh. And I don't know, I've not seen this before, but I want to share it with you this evening. Uh, Looking at the passage, when you look at the passage, you very quickly learn that the Samaritan woman here is somebody with a history. Generally considered that her past is one of promiscuity. What evidence is there for that? Well, that she's got five husbands uh, and she's now living with another man who is not her husband. Uh, That she's coming to get water in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, when people don't generally come to get water. And so from that little uh, picture, we, we make a leap into a place where we say, well, obviously the town didn't want to know her because she's coming out in the middle of the day and if she's had five husbands, she's a woman who's um, had a very uh, promiscuous lifestyle, perhaps a bit of a troublemaker. We don't know the woman's name. She's never introduced in that way. Uh, Her her identity um, is hidden from us and remains hidden from us. But let me just quickly set the context because all of that is all well and good but it may not be the truth. In her day, she would have had very little choice or control over whether she was uh, divorced or not. Uh, If she is divorced from her previous husbands, then it was not necessarily because she wanted to get divorced. The men could divorce the women but the women couldn't divorce the men. 
I know that sounds terribly unfair today, but that's how it was. The men could issue a certificate of divorce, but the women could not. And a certificate of divorce could be issued for the smallest of things, and uh, apparently was done so on a fairly regular basis. She had no right to divorce. It was exclusively a man's right. Maybe divorce, maybe she has been divorced. Maybe she has had five husbands before that she has, she's been divorced from. But, but I wonder whether she is the victim, uh, of, of that situation. I wonder whether she's somebody who has suffered. Maybe she's, maybe she's got a history. Maybe in her history, she's somebody who throughout her childhood, she's been taken advantage of. Maybe because that is the case, a man has married her and taken advantage of her, and when finished with her, divorced her, and she's gone into the next man who's married her, and finished with her, and divorced her. I don't know, but that could be the story. That could be uh, the case. Uh, If she's not divorced, maybe she suffered in other ways. We don't know. Jesus just says that she's had five uh, previous marriages. Maybe all of her husbands have died. That would be unfortunate, but it is a possibility. It is a possibility that each and every one of them could have suffered death. It wasn't unusual for people to die early in the face of multiple tragedies in that way. Whatever the situation, here is a woman who has faced a lot of tragedies in her life. Either she's been left by five husbands and therefore abandoned, feeling herself rejected in so many ways, or perhaps she's suffered the death of her husbands five times and doesn't want to step into another one. We don't know, but either way, she's someone who carries an enormous tragedy in her life. So let's not be too quick to judge. Let's not be too quick to judge who she is. We actually don't know the details of her past. And maybe we don't need to. Maybe it is enough that this woman, whose name we don't know, perhaps mirrors our own lives in so many ways. She was a woman with a past, with a story to tell, with hurts, and rejection and pain in her life. We too are people with a past, however old you are. We each of us carry histories. It doesn't matter how old you are, you may be 13 or 14, you could be 30, 40, 50, 70, it really doesn't matter. But we all have stories to tell. Perhaps some of the biggest hurts that can be felt can be felt during school years when friendships break up and there's bitter arguments and there's hurt that goes on. And probably most of us who've just left school in some way, shape or form will be able to reflect back. I still can remember uh, hurtful relationships that happened when I was at school. Of course, being a boy, we got over them just by playing football. But I think being a girl, you're scarred even more by those things. But... Uh, that time can cause enormous hurts in people's lives. So like this woman at the well, we have a history as well. 
Maybe there's broken relationships. Maybe we look past, uh, look, look back on past broken relationships that have shaped our life in such a way and we wish that they hadn't done so. Maybe there are hidden things in your life. You have stuff that you really don't want others to find out about. Perhaps you live in fear of being found out. And it's, it's not just a fear, of course, but, but that others might find out the truth, but the fear is that they wouldn't really know us. This woman was found out. Jesus found her out, in a sense. He said, well, well, you've had... Go call your husband, he said. She told the truth. She said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, no, you've had five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. She, he, she was found out, as it were. But, but notice, Jesus didn't judge her. He didn't condemn her. He didn't explain those previous husbands. Rather, he saw this as an opportunity to raise someone up. He saw it as an opportunity to introduce grace. He saw it as an opportunity to introduce someone to a living relationship with our Heavenly Father. You see, we we, we worry that people might find out, but they won't know the story behind the events, and therefore they don't understand even the happenings in our own lives. Why we act like we do towards certain people. Why we respond in certain ways. It, It all comes from our history, our past, the things that we carry with us. And people perhaps judge us, as perhaps having read this passage of scripture, we have previously judged this woman. But Jesus does an amazing thing, because he doesn't judge her. Note that in not judging her, he opens up a door of opportunity for the future. He says to this woman who has this past, a story, a history, this woman with form, as it were, he says, in some way that society has judged her, and and she comes out on her own, not wishing to mix with others, not wishing to be judged again, not wishing to be hurt again, not wishing that others would look at her in the way in which they look at her, whether they look at her with pity or with judgment. She just wants to get on with her life, perhaps, in a sense. She's become this outcast in the community. And isn't it interesting how an outcast in the community can live fully as part of the community? As part of life that's going on. She wouldn't have better move away, and therefore every day she'd have gone through uh, a sort of... uh, torturous hell as she was part of that community for fear perhaps of being judged what we do know is that others didn't know her and Jesus does something quite amazing he says to her would you give me a drink now it was unusual for a man to speak to a woman publicly in like that Um, uh, it was unusual for a Jew to speak to a Samaritan Jesus was crossing uh, cultural bridges he was crossing gender bridges that were not normally crossed he steps out a long way to reach out to this woman he steps out a long way not to judge her he steps out a long way to offer her an opportunity to come to him He steps out a long way to say, I'm more interested in your future than I am in your past. I don't want your past to dictate your future. But this is a, a crossroads point 
At this point, if you would understand, and the conversation goes on, doesn't it, you know, where they worship and what they do, and we're waiting for the Messiah. He's saying if at this point, this crossroads point in your life, you can just understand who God is, your past will be swept up with you, and your future will look brighter and more hopeful than you carry it as at the moment. Jesus says others might not want to know you, but I do. I want to step out towards you. I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to know the story of your life. Would you give me a drink? I, uh, Lindsay and I have been speaking at a conference this weekend and uh, it finished this morning. I was doing the talk there this morning in, in uh, Letchworth and... Um, uh, before going on the conference, we looked up, you know, you look up the websites, don't you, of where you're going. Well, I look up the websites of where we're going and look terribly sort of posh and, you know, powerful. And you sort of feel inadequate as you go there. But I looked it all up and I was particularly interested. I followed this little train through on these websites and, and uh, sat in bed on a Saturday morning with my daughter next to me watching a DVD about trafficking children, sex trafficking. Uh, it was... Uh, pretty graphic um, film, actually, um, uh, that the, one of the people there had filmed. And, and uh, I, because I became interested in it, I followed that through and I read the CV of the woman who'd written it and followed all of that through. And uh, when we got to this conference, uh, met the guy who was hosting it and met the other, spe- I knew the other speakers and it was great to catch up with some mates that I knew. And then there was this woman who was just sort of part of the staff. She wasn't really hosting or doing anything else. And uh, she came in and I said, Ah, I know all about you. And she looked terribly surprised. And I said, Ah, I've been watching your films this morning and I've watched your DVD and I've followed up your CV. And and we we got into this conversation. And um, uh, it, it only lasted about five minutes or so. Came back this morning to do the final talk and was in there uh, their meeting room before the uh, meeting began, the little hosting room they had, and um, uh, she came up to me and she just said, uh, you don't know what that meant, that you knew me, you'd bothered with me. You see, it's really important that we know people, isn't it? Jesus said, I want to reach out and know you. I want to know you. I want to know who you are. In a sense, this is an invitation to her to let herself be known to Jesus. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. It says that the woman is surprised that the Jews refuse to have anything to do with the Samaritans. Hold on, she says to him in verse 9. Hold on, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who I am. You would ask me and I would give you living water. I've got a gift for you. I care about you. He's saying I want to be in relationship with you. I want to understand you. I want you to reveal yourself to me, your hurts, your hang-ups, your difficulties and your histories. And the woman still doesn't get it and she, she asks more questions. Look, he says, she says, you don't have any rope or a bucket to get water. It's a deep well and you're offering me living water? 
Then Jesus brings something which I think is quite profound. He talks to her about the two realities in life. He says, basically, he says, the reality is that your life is like this at the moment. Here's how your life is. Bring our husband. I don't have a husband. Well, this is how your life is. No, you've had five husbands. This is where you are at the moment. You're in a place of, of difficulty. This is why you're here perhaps at this time of the day. I don't know. There are all sorts of different things there. But Jesus speaks to her about the reality of how her life is at that moment. But he says there's another reality. There's a, a brighter future. There's a different path. There's a new hope. There's someone who will be with you all the time. There's someone who will believe in you. And he says, you know, the people that drink of the present reality, who go searching for the next relationship because they don't want to be alone, or, 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 or the next drink because they can't cope, or, or the next item to buy because it brings comfort, or the next whatever it might be, he says, your present reality, he says, you'll just get thirsty again. You'll revisit that bar. You'll revisit that shop. You'll revisit that hangar. He says, but the reality of the future that I can offer in the kingdom of God is a reality where your thirst will be quenched, where you will find satisfaction. Paul describes it as finding completeness. He says, I'm found contentment. I found everything that I've been looking for. He's saying to her, look at your life at the moment. Your current life has a history. You've got five husbands. Your one you're living with now isn't even your husband. In other words, the reality is that you have a difficulty in your life at the moment. The water you're drinking is not good for you. You are continually thirsty. You are continually returning. And you're on a lonely journey in life. You're coming out here in the middle of the day when no one else would come. The water you're drinking, in a sense, is making you even more thirsty. But the water I give has the potential to change your life altogether. She says, well, will you give it to me then? Let me have this new future. Let me have this new hope. And he then has a little discourse with her about who the Messiah is. And she replies, I know the Messiah will come. The one who is called Christ, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. That's exactly what Jesus had done. He has explained everything to her. He's explained to her about her life, the reality within which uh, she lives and he lives, and he's explained about the opportunity to receive the living water, and then he announces, Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I am the one who can offer you a new way. And she obviously believes him because it says in verse 28 she left her water jar beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone come meet the man who told me everything I ever did well he didn't did he he didn't tell her everything she ever did but she felt known and if you feel known and understood and loved you feel as though they do know They know the very depth of your heart. They know where you tick. They know what you need. And she obviously felt that with Jesus. Come meet the man 
who met, told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? And it says the people came streaming to the village, from the village, to see him. A couple of things to note here. Number one, we're so quick to judge people that Jesus demonstrates again in this passage that he isn't. There is no condemnation in his voice when he meets this woman. This is what I see. He offers hope and a new future. And he offers it through not judging and condemning. Secondly, I see this. I see that we also know that we cannot hide our past from him. When we meet him, he knows us. He knows us like no one else could ever know us. You know when you are in that chair at home and you're just in your own little world. Does that ever happen to you? No? Happens to me. Doesn't it ever happen to you? Am I just a nutter? My son's saying I am a nutter. You know, it's nice and peaceful and quiet and you just go in your, in your own little world and you can think your own thoughts and maybe you do it when you're lying in bed you know I'm, I'm lying in the bed in the morning I'm lying ever so still in the morning I wake up ever so early and my wife doesn't so I have to lie ever so still oh she says oh don't wake me up so early I'm, I'm trying not to you know I'm lying there really still that's when I start praying not praying that I won't move but you know praying about the things of the day Jesus is with us then God knows us. He knows your very thought life. He knows what's on your heart. He knows your secret dreams. He knows your hopes and your desires. He knows your brokenness. He knows your fears and your anxieties. He knows you. Like he knew this woman. And and, and if we go to him, if we allow him, he will change our present reality into a better future uh, with him. If we come to him with openness and honesty, he will give us completeness and contentment. Jesus looks beyond the woman's past and he sees a woman, in a sense, dying to be known. She's a woman longing to be loved, who has looked for a love in all the wrong places. She is a woman who longs to be seen, who hides in the middle of the day. She is a woman who longs to be included, who feels excluded. She is a woman who longs to be accepted, but feels rejected. She is a woman who longs to be forgiven, and she finds it in Jesus Christ. And it's he that realises that she's feeding in the wrong place, that she's looking in the wrong places for the answers in her life. And he says, come to me and you'll find what you're looking for. If you come to me, then your prayers will be answered. If you come to me, you will find completeness and satisfaction. So my question to us this evening is this. Which well are we walking to? Are we walking to the well that will just make us thirsty again? Or are we walking to the well of eternal life? Are we walking to the well 
of sexual promiscuity? Are we walking to the well of consumerism? Are we walking to the well of prestige and power? I don't know, but Jesus calls us and says, I can see your life and I can see it as it is and I call you to a different life. I call you to a new way. You can't hide your past from me, but at the same time, I'll give you a better future. She's so excited about the future, about what Jesus does for her. She runs to the villagers, and the villagers run out, and it says this. Many Samaritans from the village believe that Jesus, because the woman said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many of them to hear his message and believe. And they said, now we believe because we've heard him ourselves, not because of what you told us. He is indeed the saviour of the world. Imagine now in that village, this woman standing. She was the one that led them to the well of living water. She was the one that showed them where life really could be found. She was the one that said, come meet the Messiah. She would have been accepted socially, She would have been accepted spiritually. She would have been restored to community. And she herself would have found uh, a resurrection. Right here at the beginning of John's Gospel, there is the announcement that Jesus is the one we are looking for. He is the saviour of the world and he longs to be your saviour and my saviour. He longs to save us from trying to find thirst-quenching water in the wrong places. And he wants to offer you and me life in all its fullness the water he gives to you will take away your thirst altogether should we stand together